some of us, maybe many of us, were bullied when we were in school. I mean, I was. But now there's a whole new ball game to bullying, which is that it's not happening just physically. It's happening online. So let's talk about cyberbullying and what we can do about it. The first thing, what are the facts at hand? What we know from the last PISA, which was in 2018, is that nearly one quarter of all the students who took the test in OECD countries responded that they were being bullied at least a few times a month. 8% of students said they were being bullied a lot. Besides the incredible emotional stress this puts on young people, bullying has academic consequences too. Students who said they were being bullied at least a few times a month scored 21 points lower in reading than those who weren't or who were bullied less. I'm Clara Young and I work in the OECD's Education and Skills Directorate. Today I talked to OECD analyst Francesca Gottschalk, who has just written a working paper on cyberbullying. And we are joined by Christina Salmavalli, who is a professor of psychology at the University of Turku in Finland. She and a team of researchers have developed a Finnish anti-bullying program called Kiva. So welcome, Christina, Francesca, and thank you for talking to me. Thanks, Clara. So I think I will begin, throw the first question to you, Francesca, um, just to be clear on exactly what cyberbullying is. How do we define it? This is a big question, and it's an important one. One definition of cyberbullying is willful and repeated harm inflicted through digital devices. Although, for those of you who eventually read my working paper, you'll see that actually in the literature and across countries, we see a lot of variations in the definition. So some of the key features of cyberbullying is that there needs to be an aggressive act. This can be verbal or relational, and it needs to be intentional. There needs to be an intent behind the action. There also, so part of the definition of traditional bullying is that there needs to be a power imbalance, and this could be in terms of physical strength, size, age, social status, whereas in the digital environment, this is a little bit different. Things like online popularity, social status, digital skills, or the ability to be anonymous can shift power in the direction of the bullies. Another key feature of traditional bullying is that the act needs to be repeated a number of times, and this is also different in the digital environment. Due to easy sharing and forwarding, a perceived sense of permanence in the digital environment. So this means that one act of cyberbullying can potentially be viewed or experienced many times without necessarily being repeated by the perpetrator. And one final um, difference that I'd like to highlight between traditional bullying and cyberbullying, Clara, you alluded to it in your introduction, is that traditional bullying normally happens at school or obviously in other in-person environments, whereas for cyberbullying, there's no fixed boundaries. So this can follow children from the schoolyards to their homes. It can happen anytime, any place, And it also means that it, the children don't need to be in the same spaces. So you can potentially be cyberbullied by somebody who's not in your immediate vicinity, even from a different country sometimes. How can you tell if, you know, somebody is being cyberbullied, especially for parents who, you know, it's quite usual for their children not to tell them what's going on at school? What are the signs that we look for? Yeah, actually, I don't know if there or if anyone has studied what are the particular signs for cyberbullying. For bullying, of course, it could be that the child doesn't bring home friends or very rarely talks about friends, doesn't want to go to school, sometimes has some physical symptoms, you know, and, and maybe trying to use them as a, 
an excuse or a reason to avoid school uh, and so on. Unfortunately, oftentimes children don't tell about their bullying experiences, not even about the traditional bullying, and that's certainly something that we should try and advance. And we know that the older the students are, the less likely they are to talk about it to adults. So, uh, and, and oftentimes that's because the older students have less trust in adults' capability of doing anything about it. So that's certainly a problem. But but I don't know if I can tell about signs for cyberbullying especially, because overall I think that, well, we talk about online bullying or cyberbullying and we talk about traditional or offline bullying, but actually in most cases these two are really intertwined. And we have found in our research that most kids who are bullied online are also bullied offline. So actually, and and I would say that for children, online and offline are not even two different contexts because they they are online and offline in the same time and in the same moment. And also, it can be that bullying follows them from schoolyard to to online to cyberspace. But it's also so that when something happens online, if there are some aggressive or mean hurtful acts, they are often perpetuated by someone that the child knows, often students from the same school. In that way, online bullying really is realized the next day when the child has to go to school and meet the, all the people who have seen the postings or the mean comments or or mean photos or whatever has been shared. So that's when it all kind of becomes real and it it becomes offline bullying actually because people may be laughing about those things that they have seen online. What platforms do we find bullying happening on? I mean obviously on social media, but are there other platforms that it's happening on? Um, this depends a lot on what kind of activities children are engaging in. So we know for adolescents, uh, social media sites, um, less so Facebook these days, but sites like Instagram or TikTok or Snapchat, these can be more common spaces in which cyberbullying occurs. Um, for younger children, preteens, um, they tend to go on online gaming sites, and this is where cyberbullying can occur. So a lot of where cyberbullying happens depends or is related also to the kinds of activities that children are engaging in, which does change a little bit from early childhood to preteens to teens. Is there an age where bullying and cyberbullying, or maybe we can put the two together, are happening the most well, when we look at bullying in general, it depends on whether we look at it from the targeted child's perspective or from the perspective of, of those who bully others. Because the age trends that we see seem to suggest that the prevalence of kids who are bullied decreases by age. But the same is not necessarily true of those who are engaging in bullying others. For them, it's more like a U-shaped curve so that the prevalence first goes down and then it starts going up again in the preteen years. So, so it seems like if we think about adolescents, for instance, there is a smaller number of students who are bullied, but there is a greater number of those who are engaging in these mean acts, which makes adolescents, uh, I mean, that period especially vulnerable in that sense. 
For cyberbullying, um, we see a similar pattern in most of the research I looked at. We do see a kind of a tapering off in adolescence of being victimized. So it's, it fo- seems to follow the traditional bullying trends. And, and here, maybe I will limit myself more to cyberbullying. Is it happening more to girls or more to boys? Much of the literature suggests that girls are more likely to be victims of cyberbullying. All of this does vary by age, and it's not consistent across every country, I believe. Is there a consistent socioeconomic profile of young people who tend to get bullied? Um, The literature regarding socioeconomic status and cyberbullying is not very clear or consistent. So to refer to the HBSC data again, there are some differences in victimization related to socioeconomic status, but this is only in a minority of countries and regions that are surveyed, and the patterns tend to be inconsistent. So if we look at some national surveys, for example, um, some data from the United States found no significant relationship uh, between socioeconomic status and uh, cyberbullying victimization, whereas one study in the United Kingdom um, suggested that children from low socioeconomic backgrounds were more likely to be cyberbullies and to be cyberbullied. So really, this is um, a gap in the literature. Potentially, there might not be a significant relationship between socioeconomic status and cyberbullying, or this needs to be explored more in depth in different contexts. Christine, I hear, see you nodding your head. Do you have something to add to that? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I agree that in the in in the literature we can see no clear answer to this question, as Francesca mentioned. But often, when we find some kind of association between socioeconomic status and bullying and victimization, it's to the direction that Francesca said that those who are from lower SES uh, families then are more likely to be victimized or more likely to bully others. We we rarely find the opposite. We're also talking increasingly about uh, young people's social and emotional skills. Is there a certain social emotional profile of people who tend to get bullied that you've noticed? Yes, I mean, probably we can find some association there, but I would say that the clearest predictor of of the risk of being bullied seems to be that a child who is very socially anxious or insecure about him or herself in social situations is is, uh, at a higher risk of being bullied, which is of course very sad because kids who are insecure would need encouragement from their peers as well as from adults rather than mean behaviors. The same is pretty much consistent in the cyberbullying literature. Um, One of the risk factors for being cyberbullied is having low self-esteem, whereas children who show high levels of self-awareness, who demonstrate pro-social behavior and responsible decision-making are probably less likely to be cyberbullied. But what's interesting um, about the social and emotional skills element is that children who have High levels of these skills, such as self-awareness, pro-social behaviors, this might actually help buffer against the um, impacts of being cyber-bullied. And there are a number of school-based interventions that can really bolster social and emotional skills to help children combat these risks that they face in the digital environment so that they are potentially less harmful and it might mitigate some of the effects on emotional well-being later on. 
Christina, in the Kiva program that you and your team developed and which you rolled out in Finland, I think it was in 2009, it has been very successful according to the studies. And what is the work that you do on social and emotional skills in schools? Yes, uh, in Kiva program, there is a great emphasis in the prevention module uh, on social emotional skills. So with young kids, for instance, it really starts from discussing emotions, recognizing emotions, discussing what to do with our emotions, you know, whether we can regulate them. And also about skills such as joining a group, but also how you can help others join a group and notice if someone has difficulties in that. And, and we put a lot of emphasis on skills that are like taking responsibility of the well-being of everyone and and behaving constructively if you witness incidents of bullying. That is something that struck me in the program, that everybody works together to create a, a safe environment at school. Because I think what was interesting is that PISA 2018 found that e even for people who just go to a school where there's a lot of bullying, even if they're not the target, that affects their schoolwork. Yes, that's true. There are findings showing really that bullying also affects the bystanders. You know, you started this program in Finland because there was a really high incidence of bullying leading up to 2009. Now, if we look at uh, all OECD countries, there's people who are saying that we're facing an epidemic in terms of cyberbullying. Is it is it really that bad? Well, actually, I would say it's not that bad. And when it comes to bullying overall, in many countries, the prevalence of bullying has been going down during the past decade. So that's very good news. And, and we should be happy about that. Uh, when it comes to cyberbullying, if we think about the prevalence, it can be exaggerated phenomenon a little bit because when we really use the same criteria to define cyberbullying, the criteria that Francesca mentioned in the beginning of this discussion, actually we often find low prevalence rates in comparison to face-to-face -face bullying that happens at school. In Finland, for instance, we see two to three percent of children who are bullied Uh, online, which is very low prevalence, almost the lowest if we look at many different types of bullying, such as verbal, relational, physical, etc. So, so it's not true that all bullying has now moved online and happens in cyberspace. And I think it's good to be aware of this because very often educators also or teachers may think that we can't do anything about bullying because nowadays it happens online and we have no control over that. But, but actually that's not true. I would say to teachers that most bullying still happens offline in the school and uh, very often if a child is being bullied online, that's a very good indicator that this child also experiences bullying at school. If I can add to Christina's point, I think you expressed it really perfectly. And we need to be really careful of the language that we use when describing bullying and cyberbullying. So using a word like epidemic is maybe a, a bit exaggerated. And in much of the literature, for example, there are a few systematic reviews that have been done on cyberbullying research. And it's really hard to give an accurate range. Um, to give you an idea, one a systematic review suggests um, rates of cyberbullying between 10 to 40% of children, and another one from 14 to 58. 
So it's really difficult to understand exactly the proportion of children who are being cyberbullied. And also we need to think about what are we as adults asking children? And are we using their language? So uh, what we've seen in a number of uh, studies is that children might not necessarily classify their experiences as cyberbullying, even though that's how the researchers would classify it. Yeah, they call it drama often. Exactly. So some children will refer to drama in the digital environment, which refers to performative interpersonal conflict that takes place in front of an active, engaged audience, often on social media. So if we look at a lot of the criteria that the researchers are using to um, ask children about cyberbullying, they they might say, well, I'm not being cyberbullied, or by this criteria potentially I am, but I don't see it as cyberbullying. So when we ask children, how we ask children whether they're cyberbullied is very important in terms of the actual language we're using in the questions we're asking them, and also making sure that we're using their language. So are we asking about drama? Are we asking about cyberbullying? Are we asking about online peer victimization, aggression? There are a number of different terms that we can use. And we need to think of language that we can use that empowers children to put their own perspective in it as well. Because if somebody can say, oh, well, that was just drama, it in a way it empowers the child to, to blow it off. You know, this it was something that happened. It was some drama. And I'm going to move on with the day. How do you deal with that in, in, in the Kiva program, Christina? Well, in Kiva program, we overall emphasize a lot the role of the bystanders who would witness bullying. And I think that the same applies really to online context, because that's very important. Actually, what is special about online victimization is the audience that can be potentially huge, of course, and, and how the audience is responding. And also in the online environment, the audience can signal uh, different things, like, like they, they can uh, show signs of approval, like thumbs up, you know, or they can participate, they can provide social rewards for the perpetrator and so on. Uh, so I think that, that bystanders, as we uh, emphasize their role in Kiva program, that can also easily be transferred to online environment. Actually, with the first version of Kiva program uh, that we evaluated in the randomized control trial, we didn't even have so much content related to online bullying. We had some, but still online bullying was one of the forms that was clearly reduced a lot by implementing the program at school. And now uh, we have added later on more contents related specifically to online bullying so that uh, students can also discuss that and work on, on this topic as well. Another thing that um, there has been discussion about is what happened during the remote schooling in 2020. There are studies that say that cyberbullying went up. There was a European Commission uh, report that found that, let me see, 44% of European children who were cyberbullied before the pandemic um, reported that it had increased during the lockdown. And then there's other signs that show that cyberbullying decreased during remote schooling. Uh, there was some data from Google Internet searches that suggests that searches for cyberbullying decreased in 2020. What have you found? We did a study on this in Finland, and uh, because we were middle of our big Kiva survey in spring 2020, in March actually, about two years ago. 
when schools were suddenly closed. And in Finland, schools were closed for two months. So, so everyone was in remote schooling. So we suddenly created another version of our questionnaire where we asked about students' experiences during remote schooling. And we did that in May, uh, just before the students uh, went back to school. And we collected about 50,000 student answers to our survey. Uh, we didn't find an increase in online bullying. Rather, we found that the rates of bullying remained on the level that in usual situation, the rates of online bullying were. So two to three percent of students reported repeated victimization during remote schooling. Those kids were often those who had already been bullied before the remote schooling. So for some of them, but not all of them, bullying continued during the remote schooling. Overall, the rate of bullying went down really clearly, and it seemed like, yeah, it continued as online bullying for some, but not all. But often, in the case of those students who were who had been bullied the most frequently before the remote schooling. What are the important things that schools can do and principals can implement in their schools to combat uh, bullying? and cyberbullying. It's important that principals are really serious about this and really prioritize this and also signal this to the teachers who in turn signal to the students and that they are really serious about bullying. They 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 take it seriously and it's important for them that that uh, no one gets bullied and students report the bullying if they if they see it. We really know that the principals role is quite crucial in how the school culture is developed around these issues and how the teachers take this. Research shows that overall bullying prevention programs, when implemented systematically, can be beneficial or useful. But I really think that the, this, uh, the most important thing is the attitude of the adults and, and that they really, really are serious about it and, and the students also know it. Something that came up earlier is is you know students or their their confidence in whether adults can do anything about their situation, um, that brings me to reporting mechanisms. Uh, what are the kinds of ways that uh, young people can tell adults that work the best if they're being bullied? In some OECD countries, uh, we see the existence of helplines or hotlines or online reporting mechanisms. Um, there are a number of countries that have established this kind of support outside of the school where children, teachers, or parents can either report serious cases, bullying or cyberbullying, which depending on, on the acts perpetrated could actually constitute a crime depending on the legislation around cyberbullying or sometimes it can fall foul of things like copyright legislation or, um, or sexting revenge porn laws, for example. But there are a number of helplines in OECD countries where children themselves can phone um, anonymous helplines and they can ask, what do I do? What are the next steps? Who can I talk to about this? Should I be referred to specialist support? And I think that these outside of schools, anonymous reporting mechanisms where children can actually go when they don't feel they can turn to somebody is very important. 
as I said, the anonymous nature of this takes some of the pressure off the children from talking to their parents or talking to their teacher. And we know that teachers in many countries report that they don't feel prepared to deal with cyberbullying, less so than even traditional bullying. So being able to speak to a specialist um, who's often associated with a media literacy or a digital skill or risk center, this can be really helpful for children to know what to do or what they can do. What about in Finland? What are the reporting mechanisms in Finland? We also have those anonymous helplines that Francesca mentioned in Kiva program. Specifically, we have an online online tool that you can use to report bullying to the Kiva team members of your own school. So there is the system that the schools can activate and then a child can send a message and that message will go to those people who are responsible about taking action when when bullying occurs so that's that's uh, exactly to make reporting easier and i haven't really even brought this up yet but what can parents do about cyberbullying well i think of course building a, a good and trustful relationship is is the key as it is in so many other things so that the kids would tell and would turn to their parents if they face problems online as well as offline I have um the son of a good friend of mine who was bullied and cyberbullied for actually uh quite a long time um and even changed schools and it followed him and it really didn't uh end until uh the father wrote a note to the bullier's father and that was what brought an end to it what is the involvement of parents in the Kiva program mm in kiva program uh the so-called kiva teams are first starting to tackle these cases with the students without involving parents so much in the beginning but uh then if if the situation doesn't improve the parents are more involved in it but as a parent i mean i have two kids who are now adults already but but i have invited a mother and a son to our home to discuss about bullying that happened to my my kid and and i would certainly be an active parent who would do whatever it takes and even talk to the the parents or the the children who are doing the bullying actually in that case that i mentioned it was the friend of my my son i don't even remember which grade in elementary school they went to but but it can happen even even among friendship groups Why can't parents just say uh listen just turn off your telephone just go off social media why is that not a good strategy to deal with cyberbullying Yeah it's a bit like if parents would say that don't meet any friends because they may bully you so it's it's just not reality that's where kids are and and that's where they spend their time This is very unrealistic nowadays especially as more systems are increasingly incorporating digital elements into the teaching and learning process And I think that something that's really important to keep in mind is that being in the digital environment, by virtue of being in the digital environment, you will be exposed to risks. You're likely to be exposed to risks. But digital tools also provide endless opportunities for children, and they can allow them to exercise their rights, such as the right to information and right to play. So it's a tricky balance when thinking about restricting the opportunities and the risks. 
versus enabling them. And we know from evidence from parenting practices that taking more of an enabling approach to parenting in the digital environment, so discussing digital risks, um, letting children navigate, this doesn't mean letting them go free and do whatever they want. You can still implement parental controls, monitor a little bit some of the websites they're um, accessing, for example, but this sort of more enabling and open approach to the use of digital technologies can actually help children build their digital skills and it can help them navigate cyberbullying and other risks. We know that parents who take more of this enabling approach, their children are also more likely to talk to them when they've been experiencing risks like cyberbullying. On the other hand, restrictive mediation, so saying turn off your phone, you can only have X minutes per day of screen time. This is often associated with lower levels of digital skills in children. And this approach is also taken more by parents who themselves are less digitally skilled. So I think that this really hits home the importance also of taking a lifelong learning approach to digital skill development, because not all parents have the same level of digital skills. And we know that this enabling approach is more beneficial for children to realize opportunities and to realize their rights in the digital environment. Therefore, we need to properly equip parents with the tools and the skills to be able to help their children navigate safely in the space. Does the Kiva program, or have you come across, Francesca, other programs where there is a guideline on what constitutes online behavior or something that you're doing that is a little bit, you know, quite risky, maybe watch out when you do that and, and things that are, okay, that's, you know, that, that should be fine. Do we have guidelines for that in terms of that this could bring on cyberbullying? In many OECD countries, there are different centers that have been created to support populations, not just in education, often this is more generally with media literacy, digital skills, digital safety. So we see in a number of centers, um, some, for example, the Safer Internet Centers that are in many European countries, there are often guidelines or supports for parents and teachers that... Um, outline potentially risky situations that children can find themselves in in the digital environment and also some of the more beneficial situations. So there are resources available. Often these are online tools, fact sheets. Um, there are also some teaching and learning resources available in certain countries. And I think that these are important tools to disseminate information, spread awareness. We also see in a number of countries that there are anti-bullying days or weeks that are dedicated to promoting awareness about the issues and what we as individuals and as part of a greater society can do to protect each other in the digital space. What would constitute risky behavior? Could we get more specific about that just so we know? Risky behavior that's associated with being cyberbullied, for example, can include visiting adult websites, engaging in sexting, which means um, sending sexually explicit uh, material, often images or videos to other people, visiting websites uh, with adult content, uh, reaching out to strangers, for example, in the digital environment. These kinds of activities can be risky and have been associated with cyberbullying victimization. Yes, because I've heard of sort of international pen pal forums. Uh, that seems to be something that young people are doing that strikes me as quite risky. 
We know there's a lot of research on how children make friends in the digital environment. And often these friendships can extend to offline settings. And this kind of touches on the point that Christina made earlier, that there's less of a distinction between online and offline. And we see that children who are friends from school connect with each other in the digital environment as well. So of course, stranger danger is a real risk, but I think that we need to think about the potential harms that can come from this risk and understand that not every stranger a child is connecting with in the digital environment has bad intentions. Thank you very much, Christina Samavalli and Francesca Kachuk, for this very useful conversation about cyberbullying. I'm Clara Young. To find out more about the Kiva Anti-Bullying Program, please go to kivaprogram.net. To find out more about the OECD's work on education skills, find us on Twitter. Our handle is at OECD EDU Skills. <laughs>